AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow Strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by Propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. We have got a pile of stories to get to in today's show. We'll focus on the noble soybean and then dive deep into what turned out to be actually a very exciting export sales report and a little housekeeping in the final segment. It's a busy Thursday morn here on AgriTalk. Live from the thrumming heartbeat of ag news via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk This Morning. We begin with the newly elected chair of the United Soybean Board, Megan Kaiser. Then we'll talk markets and exports with pro farmers, Brian Grady. And right after the news, Greg Henderson from Drovers. I'm your handsome host, Davis Michelson. Welcome to AgriTalk One and all. Glad you've tuned in to join us this morning. Uh, lots in the news today. We've got lots to cover and I can't wait to, to get started here. Um, Megan Kaiser from the United Soybean Board um, news just broke. I believe it was just this week uh, that she had been elected chair of the board, but she is no stranger to the United Soybean Board. I want to find out what she's thinking about as the chair, looking ahead to uh, priorities, things she hopes to accomplish, and also look backward over her time at United Soybean Board because she didn't just come out of nowhere. She's been serving the uh, U.S. soybean grower for a good long time. And so we'll get a little history. We'll find out, you know, we'll find out who is Megan Kaiser and, and what she hopes to accomplish there. I'm looking forward to that conversation. And then, so I'm, I'm looking through the morning's news and minding my own business. And it turns out that export demand was super solid in USDA's most recent report. I want to check in with Brian Grady on that, get some of the details, see see how that makes him feel about the near-term future, and talk a little bit of outlook for 2023 with the Brian Stein. You know, we get his market updates at the bottom of the hour, but it's never enough. It's never enough. I want more Brian Grady, and we're going to get it today, uh, later on in the uh, second half of the show. And right after the news, of course, Greg Henderson from Drovers, he's talking about you know, we've been focused on the uh, the inflation data, the CPI, and he's pulled out some interesting nuggets pertaining to the meat markets from those numbers. And so we'll get to Greg Henderson right after this morning's news, where corn and soybean futures traded narrowly mixed overnight, while wheat futures posted modest gains. Malaysian palm oil futures fell nearly two percent on slower exports. And weakness in rival veg oils, while front month crude oil was modestly lower. And that weakness in the palm oil and the crude oil, uh, all the veg oils really, is is showing up in the soybean complex. Uh, again, one of the things that I want to dive a little bit deeper to into with Brian Grady later on. USDA did report a daily sale of 101,600 metric tons of corn for delivery to Mexico during the 22-23 marketing year, the export market feels like it's heating up here. And so, like I said, we're, we're going to discuss that as well with Brian. Well, according to World Weather Inc., 8 to 16 inches of snow fell the past two days across northwestern and north-central Nebraska through much of South Dakota. 
That excludes the Far East, although North Dakota did get snow as well. More snow is expected due to a strong, slow-moving, low-pressure trough moving through the region. On your economic news, retail sales in the United States declined 0.6% month-over-month in November of 22 after rising 1.3% in October. That's much worse than the market had forecast. The biggest drop so far this year was sales of furniture, building materials, and motor vehicles falling the most during the holiday season. Also a dip in sales of electronics, musical instruments, things of that nature. Uh, I wonder if it's holiday gift giving that is seeing some declines this year. Sorry, kids. Well, the number of Americans filing new claims for unemployment benefits fell by 20,000 to 211,000 in the weekend of December 10. That was well below market expectations of 232,000. It was the least amount of initial weekly claims since the end of September, pointing to a uh, continuously tight labor market in the United States. According to the Fed, Americans can expect more rate hikes ahead, lingering inflation, and higher end-of-year rates for 2023. Fed Chair Jerome Powell stressed the Fed had no interest in revising the inflation target of 2% in near or midterms, saying, quote, we're not considering that, we're not going to consider that under any circumstances. These comments were made after uh, yesterday's meeting closed of the uh, Federal Open Market Committee. Leaders of state corn groups and the National Corn Growers Association called on President Biden to take additional steps to address the pending decree by Mexico that would block imports of biotech corn. A letter sent to the president Wednesday encouraged Biden to raise the issue during upcoming trade talks and to file a dispute under the United States-Mexico-Canada agreement if Mexico does not act expeditiously to withdraw the decree. The leader said, quote, corn farmers are right now in the process of making planting decisions for next spring. Any additional uncertainty in the market affects their ability to appropriately respond to multiple market signals. Mexico's Foreign Secretary Marcelo Ebrard plans to visit Washington this week to discuss the issue ahead of a planned meeting on trade between President Biden, President Obrador and Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau in early January. And finally, the American Farm Bureau continues to rail against ag- ad hoc relief packages for farmers with an eye toward the next farm bill. AFBF's Emily Buckman says it's time to strengthen the safety net in the next farm bill. Ad hoc disaster assistance, it is unpredictable, and it's always more beneficial to have certainty, especially given all the factors that play into the farm economy, whether that's supply chain issues or inflation, disaster assistance should be uh We want something that's a little bit more predictable. And with that, let's uh, turn our attention to Greg Henderson from Drovers. Good morning, Mr. Henderson. This week's CPI report, an ease of inflation, some of that due to lower meat prices. Absolutely, Davis. Uh, So this week's CPI report did see an easing of inflation and some of it due to lower meat. The November meat CPI shrunk to 1.1% over last year. That's much better than the double-digit increases we've seen the first five months of this year. Now, poultry, Davis, was an outlier at 13.1% increase in November. But overall, retail meat prices moved slightly lower, and choice retail beef, for instance, was at $7.37 a pound. That's down about 1% from the previous month. Uh, And it's about 6% lower than the same month a year ago. So we would suggest that 
those uh, prices for beef and pork are not contributing to inflation, and that should be supportive of prices for producers and certainly goes to um, this demand that we've been talking about throughout the year being continuing to be strong. And it looks like it's going to be strong through the holidays and into the new year, Davis. This against the backdrop of uh, what some are calling tightening supplies. Well, we do have tightening supplies, which is also supportive of prices. And we've seen a we, we've seen that uh, uh, volatility in the beef cutout over the last few weeks, up four or five dollars, down four or five dollars. Typically, we'd see a seasonal trend to see that lower through the end of the year. Uh, but with these tightening supplies, uh, retailers are are a little concerned they're going to be able to keep those shelves full. So that's going to uh, add to the price as well. You know, I think I'm going to celebrate this news by uh, by having a delicious, juicy steak. How about you? Hey, that sounds good. <laughs> Greg Henderson from Drovers, thanks for your time this morning, sir. I appreciate you. Have a great day. Thank you, Davis. And we'll be right back on AgriTalk with the newly elected chair of the United Soybean Board, Megan Kaiser. We're going to find out what her deal is, what her ex- expectations are. So stick around for that conversation next. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. AgriTalk is brought to you by NK Seeds, the fastest growing seed brand, getting you top hybrids and varieties that perform on your acre. NK Seeds, bushels don't lie. You know, in Australia, they call them Akadaka. It's ACDC. Just a little trivia for you there. I was watching uh, Conan Without Borders last night. Welcome back to AgriTalk, everyone. All that aside, your pal Davis Michelson here behind the big green leafy microphone of AgriTalk in Chip's stead. Chip, we hope you're well. Um, and uh, he'll be back next week for business as usual. In the meantime, it is my privilege to congratulate the newly elected United Soybean Board Chair, Megan Kaiser. Megan, welcome to AgriTalk and congratulations. Well, thank you. Excited to be on and excited for the year ahead. Uh, now, I, let's just let's get to know who is Megan Kaiser just a little bit. Tell us your background. Are you are you a lifelong <laughs> resident of the Show Me State? I am a lifelong resident of the Show Me State, born and raised in Bowling Green, Missouri. Um, raised in my parents' uh, agricultural laboratory, Perry Ag Lab. Uh, went to the University of Missouri, became a soil scientist, and uh, mainly because I always wanted to be involved in the production of of food, fiber, feed, and fuel. 
and got lucky and, and found a, a farmer that would have me as his wife. And we became uh, the fifth generation on Kaiser Family Farms in uh, Carrollton, Missouri. And um, we are raising a two-year-old, Nora, and a seven-year-old, Mac. Um, and hopefully they will love agriculture as much as we do. So my husband and I, we split our time between the lab, the farm, and we also have a precision ag soil sampling service. So everything ag, but just three different uh, aspects. Now, I don't know how much of this you can talk about, but you, you, you say laboratory, and I'm immediately fascinated. What goes on at the lab? Well, uh, a lot of farmers utilize uh, our, you know, soil testing to find out the nutrient levels okay. in, in their soil. Yep. Um, and so we focus on not only the, the chemistry and the nutrition, but, you know, the, the physics and, and the biology of the soil. Um, we can capture that information here at the lab, and then we make better data-driven data decisions. And, you know, the thing is, is it ties in really closely with the work that United Soybean Board is doing. Obviously, uh, they're very separate. Um, my lab doesn't do anything directly with the soybean board, but, right. um, you know, farmers all over the United States are trying to make better uh, data-driven decisions. One, for our economic viability to make sure that with input costs being where they are, um, that we're, we're doing right by uh, our economic vitality on the farm, but, but also because it leads to our, our sustainability, um, taking care of our soil, we know is our number one resource on the farm. And when we take care of our soil, we take care of the, the soybeans that we grow in it, but we're taking care of the water and the air around us um, because the, that soil is really the you know, an immune system of the plant. And so it's one of the focuses um, at the board too is, is making sure that all farmers have access to um, plant and, and soil health and nutrition information um, that will help us be better stewards. Wow, that's fantastic. I love all of that. Um, now, I, I would like for you to walk us through your hopes and dreams for the USB uh, as, as chair of the United Soybean Board. But first, talk to us about your background. You are no stranger to the USB. No, I just uh, finished my sixth year, um, heading into uh, my seventh year. Now, for those that don't know, um, your your state board nominates um, members to go on to uh, the United Soybean Board, and um, and then you're actually appointed by the Secretary of Agriculture. Um, you can serve up to three consecutive terms, um, um, and each term is three years. And so I, I just was reappointed by Secretary Vilsack um, for my third term. It's interesting because he uh, actually appointed me the first time, <laughs> my class of, of folks, and then um, Secretary Purdue appointed us last time, and then now Secretary Vilsack again this time. So um, just a little background on, on how you're selected. There are 77 farmer leaders on the United Soybean Board. And so when we talk about investments and decisions, those are investments and decisions um, made by farmers um, from all over the country. And we represent you know, more than 500,000 soybean farmers in the United States and more than 30 states. And so um, it's a vast um, perspective, you know, challenges and opportunities in Mississippi might be different than in North Dakota, how we ship our beans, um, where they go. Um, we have to take all of that into um, context. So in my six years on the board, I served two years as um, treasurer, one year as the action team, um, uh, demand action team chair. I served on the uh, sustainability um, uh, committee and um, also served as uh, two years on as the uh, strategic plan task force chair. 
and uh, last year as the vice chair and chairperson of the Value Alignment Committee. And so when we talk about all these committees, it probably means not much to somebody not uh, on the board, um, but it's been really fun because we get to work not only with um, directors on the board, but industry um, and also our, our state uh, qualified soybean boards um, to kind of figure out what the unique value of the United Soybean Board. Well, yes, and I'm I'm glad that you brought up um, your seat on the strategic plan task force as the chair, because um, I I love the the idea that that implies of the forward looking. Um, can you talk about some of those those strategies and and what your your hopes were at that point on the strategic plan task force? Yeah. So what we came up with is our three main priority areas fall in the areas of innovation and technology health and nutrition and infrastructure and connectivity. And then within those priority areas, we split that to kind of focus on the supply side. What do farmers need? What, what are we focused on that tools, resources, maybe just third party unbiased um, look at things for, for better decision-making on the farm. But then on the demand side, we're looking at, well, what do our customers need? What will help drive um, U.S. soy to be the number one choice? So when I think about uh, infrastructure and connectivity as an example, uh, yes, of course, we're looking at river, roads, rail, even broadband when we talk about connectivity um, and, and how that impacts, you know, the farmer being able to get our, our crop from our farm gate to the, the global marketplace. But then on the demand side, I'm looking at what makes it easier for a customer to choose U.S. soy, everything mm. from how efficient and reliably can we deliver our soybeans to them? But also, if you think about what technical expertise might make it easier, especially in our emerging and expanding markets, um, I think about um, helping with uh, in-pond raceway systems in Cambodia. That is building demand for U.S. soy by giving technical expertise to aquaculture uh, farmers in Cambodia to make sure they know how to utilize our soy, but it's also building a sustainable um, food supply within their own country and a partnership with the United States as we export our soybean meal to them. And so it's, it's, it's when we talk about farmers in the United States helping to feed the world, it's a very genuine discussion because not only are we able to grow soybeans very efficiently and sustainably here, we're adding to the sustainability story of other farmers um, around the world. Wow, that's fantastic. I mean, as, as if it weren't enough to, uh, to be there for the uh, U.S. soybean growers to the tune of however many tens of thousands you had said, you're reaching out around the world. That's, that's outstanding. Um, before we run out of time, talk to us about your new role as the chair of the USB. What are you hoping to accomplish? What would you like to see? My number one goal as chair is to help steward and make sure that all 77 members of, of, of farmer leaders that take the time to be active in this board, that their voices and perspectives are heard and that we bring that together and we build a, a stronger future for the U.S. soy industry. You know, renewable fuels, diesel in particular, seems to have a decent amount of momentum right now. I imagine USB has got quite the stake in keeping those fires burning. Absolutely. Well, it was farmer leaders, you know, 30 years ago that said, hey, let's see what we can do with this oil that built the biodiesel industry and really set us up for today uh, and our moment to shine, if you will, as we talk about not only biodiesel, but renewable diesel as a drop in replacement and, and even sustainable. Uh, 
SAF, a sustainable aviation fuel. Um, and, and what that means is our sustainability story now adds to all of these other industries in transportation, in, in travel, um, that we're, our, our sustainability story doesn't stop at our farm gate and, and U.S. Soy and U.S. Uh, Soybean Board are very involved in making sure that we figure out what the challenges are that lay ahead, especially as it comes to crush capacity, um, holding capacity, and, and, and just infrastructure in general to make sure that those opportunities are available uh, for U.S. soybean producers to, to really thrive on. I think the uh, the big question for uh, Missouri right now is uh, it seems like the Chiefs have got a layup set up for them this weekend in Houston. Are you going to tune in for the game? Absolutely. We uh, <laughs> if, if my husband wasn't a diehard fan enough, um, my seven year old son is a huge Patrick Mahomes fan, and so we will be cheering on the Chiefs. Uh, very excited to see them on Christmas Eve too. Uh, yeah. So we'll be tuning in. <laughs> that respect for Mahomes is well placed. USB newly elected chair Megan Kaiser, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Good luck at the new posts, and I hope to hear from you again soon. Thanks a lot. That was USB chair Megan Kaiser, uh, native Missourian and uh, a Chiefs fan apparently. So. Uh, We'll look forward to hearing great things from Megan. Coming up next, I've got Brian Grady for a little markets update, and then I've got Brian Grady for a longer, deeper dive right here on AgriTalk. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. Time for Markets Now with the experts from ProFarmer. And joining us now, ProFarmer editor Brian Grady. Brian, ah, pressure on the entire soybean complex to start the day. Yeah, uh, so big weekly, uh, huge weekly soybean export sales, and I, I think we'll probably get to that uh, in the next segment, but uh, definitely not uh, translating into buyer interest in the uh, the futures this morning, so kind of buy the rumor, sell the fact type of deal, uh, even though they came in much stronger than anticipated, but uh, you know, anywhere from 8 to 10 cents lower in, in soybeans here at mid-morning. Uh, you mentioned the, the other pressure in the soy complex. Uh, soybean meal is under pressure, 3 to $4 lower. Uh, soybean oil is is about 60 points lower and and so um you know across the uh, entire soy complex uh corn futures uh, that they're being dragged down by the uh, the pressure in the uh, soybean market and then uh wheat uh kind of a mixed tone but uh mostly weaker and uh you know outside markets aren't helping any uh the dollar is almost 700 points higher at the moment and uh, the crude oil market's under, uh, eh, it's about a dollar lower or so. So uh, outside markets are, are priced negative this morning. 
Looks like, uh, speaking of price negative, the fat cattle are lower, feeder cattle slightly higher. Yeah, uh, you know, not a whole lot going on, to be honest with you, in the uh, the live cattle market. Still waiting on active cash cattle trade to develop, and, and uh, it may be until uh, Friday, late Friday, uh, before that happens. Uh, it looks like feedlots uh, aren't willing to move cattle at uh, lower prices, and uh, the packer just doesn't want to pay up, and, and so uh, probably going to have uh, somewhat of a restricted trade this week. On the uh, hog side of things, uh, under a little bit of price pressure here um, as we uh, continue to just struggle to find sustained buyer interest there. That's Pro Farmer Editor Brian Grady. We'll dig deeper right after these words. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. I don't know what you're thinking. So call us at 855-4-TALK-AG and tell us what's on your mind. We are back with more AgriTalk. Your pal Davis Michelson here in for Chip Flory. He'll be back next week. Um, as I said, I, I want a deeper dive with Brian Grady from Pro Farmer. Let me bring in our beloved editor at Pro Farmer, Brian Grady. Brian, thanks for sticking around for a, for a little more conversation here. I appreciate it, pal. Absolutely. Now, before we get into the exports, because I, I do want to talk about these export sales here, um, a, a lot of traders that I've spoken to, a lot of industry people are talking about this low volatility environment you've been watching the markets forever in a day um and i just i want to get your take on that some of these moves here you know we're seeing the the sharp drop in the soy complex today how much is low volatility uh not low volatility but rather low volume playing into these moves yeah, uh, you know, you get into the holiday period, so anywhere between uh, Thanksgiving and, and the New Year holiday, and, and uh, you have a tendency to see your, your uh, trading volume drop off anyway. Um, so it, it is a, a factor. Uh, you know, in those uh, times, uh, you know, it can be really quiet, um, trading volume, but it, it also, the, the flip side is that you don't have to um, see as much um in terms of uh, price action to, to get the volatility to increase. So uh, it doesn't take as much to move the market, so to speak. And, and uh, so uh, it, this is always a hard time of year, to be honest with you. I, you're wrapping up the, uh, the uh, trading schedule for the year. You're into the holiday doldrums type of deal and, and your trading volume backs off and, and uh, it, it becomes harder to, to predict price moves and, and so on. It, they don't always make sense, so to speak historically has the tendency been for these holiday doldrums as you call them to last through into uh through new year's and maybe we we see uh, a little bit of volume pick back up again in january absolutely i, th I think that we will um uh, you know new year flip of the calendar um uh, you know some of those uh, traders that uh, may be uh, backing down on their uh, their trading programs or schedules here at the end of the year um come back and and uh you know hit it uh, in a normal pace again uh, to kick off the new year. So I, I think we got a couple more weeks here probably of this type of stuff, and, and then you get into more normal trade again uh, once you flip the calendar. Outstanding. All right. Um, well, let's let's stay on soybeans. I, I do want to talk about the export sales report. Uh, USDA reported net weekly soybean sales totaling 2.943 million metric tons that's up, uh, what is that, almost twice the previous week and well above 
expectations. China in for 1.2 million. Um, what do you what do you make of this uh, demand here? It's it feels like it's been a long time coming. Yeah. Uh, so soybeans, uh, we, we haven't had uh, poor export demand. Uh, you know, they, they've been uh, chugging along here and, uh, you know, about at the, the normal seasonal pace. Uh, the struggles have come on on corn and wheat, and, and they both had uh, better than expected numbers this week as well. So, uh, you know, um, but these are sales. Uh, keep You know, let's keep in mind we're we're most interested in the uh, the export pace. But on the soybean okay. side of things, I'm, I'm not real concerned. And like you said, um the two, 2.9 million tons for the week uh, for soybean sales, huge, and and uh, almost 1.3 million tons went to uh, China. So big buyers. Um, you know, it sounds like China ha- probably has all around three quarters of their needs covered now uh, as we move out through the first quarter of, of uh, or into the first quarter of, of 2023. And, and uh, so uh, we'll see, uh, you know, seasonally, um, you know, export demand window for U.S. soybeans remains open in, until uh, the South American crop is ready. And, and by all accounts, uh, Brazil is is going to have uh, a pretty normal start to its harvest season, uh, meaning that uh, when we flip the calendar to January, we'll start to see some of those early soybeans come off. And then uh, it'll pick up more as we get into February and March time frame. Now, there's been lots of talk about weather in Argentina, super hit and miss, some hot temperatures, some ongoing dryness. How much of a concern is that for the soybean market? Uh, I think it's more of a concern for the meal market. Uh, you know, Argentina accounts for about 40 percent of global uh, meal trade. And and so that's why we've seen some of the big explosive moves uh, uh, here recently to the upside in the, the meal market. Uh, not not today, but, uh, you know, here recently we, we had that big run up uh, the soybean market. They're they're more focused on Brazil. And, and that's because Brazil produces about three times as many soybeans as what the uh, uh, as what Argentina does. But Argentina has that big processing industry and, and uh, they ship a lot of meal and, and soy oil onto the world market. We're going to get off soybeans in just a second here. But I mean, at two point nine, four, three million metric tons, call it three million metric tons. Uh, and soybeans down double digits. Is the market not not paying attention to the exports? No, I like I said in the the markets update there. Uh, you know, I, I think it's more a buy the rumor, sell the fact type of deal. They anticipated mm. that the uh, the sales would be strong. They came in much stronger than anticipated, but still, uh, you know, just not enough there. I don't think uh, to to generate the buyer interest. And and uh, uh, keep in mind that um, you know we we talk about South America. Uh, and weather and things like that. And I think that some of that's coming into play because uh, there are some rains for some of those dry areas of Argentina and, and southern Brazil, um, though I doubt if they're, um, you know, enough to, to ch- train, uh, excuse me, to uh, change the trend down there. Some traditional buyers uh, in the uh, the corn export sales report 958,900 metric tons during the weekend of December 8. Good to see them showing up. Yeah. Uh, so corn, uh, the, the export pace there has been been woeful. Um, USDA lopped 75 million bushels off uh, last Friday in this report. Uh, probably needed to do more than that, to be honest with you. Uh, but that was a pretty big move for for December. So that should tell you um, that USDA sees that there are uh, export issues on the corn side of things. Uh, probably not too much of a surprise. You know, we had the Mississippi River issues uh, it, during harvest season. And, and uh, so that slowed things down. So Soybeans dominate during the first quarter of the marketing year anyway, and and uh, so you know corn kind of got pushed to the back burner even more than it typically would um, during the fall here. What do you make of this Mexico GMO corn story? 
Well, Mexico needs corn. Um, so, you know, they've already backed down on, on that. Uh, I, I think it's probably more um, hype than, than anything at this point in time. They're, you know, sure, I, I think they want to end exports of uh, or imports of uh, GMO corn from the United States. But uh, uh, the reality is that uh, unless they have some contingency plan, uh, that just isn't uh, going to happen on a wide scale. Well, we talked about corn and soybean export demand. Um, wheat really had a pretty good showing, too, 469,000 tons. Yeah, uh, so wheat's export demand isn't as poor as, as what corn is, um, but uh, it, it hasn't been good at, at all. Uh, you know, we're projected to export only 775 uh, million bushels of, of wheat uh, during the 22-23 marketing year, and, and uh, you know, a, just a, a poor number and, and uh could potentially go lower. So, um, you know, the, the U.S. is just struggling to sell wheat onto the world market. So it's good to see a, a, a strong uh, weekly number, but, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't get too excited about uh, one figure here. Reports out of Ukraine are that there has been a sharp drop in sendouts from Ukraine on the wheat side. Is that going to leave a supply side hole that the United States will be able to fill perhaps further down the road? Oh, you know, I, I think the bigger probably story is that uh, the Australian uh, um, crop woes and, and having way more feed wheat uh, than they mm. normally would because of those late season uh, heavy rains that they experienced and, and the um, degrading of their crop. Um, you know, so it's probably more of a, of a high protein um, type of market that uh, we can fill uh, than a value market. Uh, just because of the the price and everything on a flat price structure, uh, the U.S. is is fine. Uh, when freight gets involved, uh, then that that becomes the issue and and making us uncompetitive on the world market. I'd love to get some of your thoughts on the the cattle market. Retail prices slightly lower in November. Uh, some CPI data showed lower meat prices, uh, helping to put some pressure on inflation but it sounds like feedlots are holding out for higher prices yeah uh so supply side uh i'll, I'll address that first i guess um yeah. you know we're gonna see our numbers tighten continue to tighten as we move through 2023 so i'm i'm bullish uh toward cattle there now the front end of the market right now is pretty pessimistic uh in relation to the cash market we've actually got uh, nearby futures trading below the cash and and uh which is a head scratcher um, but the traders are being very cautious at the moment, and I, I think that's the biggest thing. Flipping over to the demand side, uh, we've seen our demand, uh, you know, export demand has been strong. Now it's expected to, to drop off uh, primarily because of, of reduced uh, exports to China is what it is anticipated next year. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think that we're okay there, and, and uh, really, you know, it, We've seen our retail prices back down, like you said, and and uh, I I think that uh, the American consumer will continue to buy uh, beef at the at the meat case. Looking ahead to 2023, can you speak generally to farmers as we're looking to flip the calendar here? What what are your general thoughts on 23? Uh, well, a uh, couple of things. Uh, input prices are are going to remain uh, an issue. Um, supply chain issues. I think they are getting better, but uh, they're still not back to what uh, "quote unquote" normal would be. Uh, so those are some some issues. Uh, farm bill, 
you know, that's going to be yeah. a Washington issue as we move forward. Uh, do we get an extension or, or do they get something done uh, in Congress? And speaking of Congress, you know, we have a split Congress with uh, Democrats continuing to tr uh, control the Senate. Uh, but Republicans now have control of the House or will with the new Congress. And, and so uh, those are some issues. Uh, inflation, it looks like inflation has peaked, uh, but it's going to remain a, an issue. Uh, interest rates, the Fed back down on, on the rate of gains there, uh, but the Fed is going to continue to raise interest rates. So those are some uh, just some macroeconomic factors that uh, farmers need to pay attention to as we move through 2023. Pro Farmer Editor Brian Grady, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for the data dump there. We appreciate you, brother. Have a great day. Absolutely. You too, Davis. All right. I'll have some closing thoughts. And, uh, oh, looks like we got somebody on the phone line here on AgriTalk. Stick around. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. AgriTalk is brought to you by the Conservation at Work video series. Farmer to Farmer, the Conservation at Work video series features real stories, real successes, real quick. See what's possible at farmers.gov slash conservation. And welcome back to AgriTalk, everyone. Your pal Davis Michelson here. Hey, before we move on, let's check in with today's yields in the fields. Yields in the Fields on AgriTalk is brought to you by Microessentials from Mosaic, the science of more. Discover our proven products. Text YIELDS to 31313. And we head to East Central South Dakota, where a grower says, quote, had a really good crop this year. I'm up north of I-90, got field work done just in time to get buried in snow. Hope the skid loader starts. I hope that for you too, my brother. Yields in the Fields is brought to you by Micro Essentials from Mosaic. Uh, I see here we've got, uh, oh, this is going to be great. We've got Scout the Farm Dog on the line. Scout, hello, are you there? Well, hey, Davis. Well, hey, Scout, welcome back to AgriTalk. What's on your mind today? According to an American Farm Bureau Federation press release, nominations are now open for AFBF's fifth annual Farm Dog of the Year contest which honors farm dogs for their loyalty uh -huh. and support to farmers and ranchers oh. working to produce our nation's food supply. Wow. Uh, farm dog of the year. So, okay, tell me this. What what does the winner get? Like a chew bone or something? Maybe a dead bird? Uh, uh, well, the dead bird would be a nice addition. 
But the grand prize winner will hold the title of Farm Bureau Farm Dog of the Year and will win a year's worth of dog food hey. and $5,000. Wow. Um, five grand. So when, when do we find out who the winner is? When will the results be out? The winner will be named at Farm Bureau's convention in January 2023 in sunny San Juan, Puerto Rico. Ooh, nice. 2022's Farm Dog of the Year is called Fit, huh. a border collie from Lady Lake, Florida, uh -huh. who works with Andrew and Cindy Deke to keep their operation well-supervised and running smoothly. All right. Well, uh, what... We'll be looking forward to uh, to your report from sunny Puerto Rico. Uh, Scout, thanks for calling in. You bet. For Farm Dog Journal, this is Scout the Farm Dog reporting. All right. Well, oh, he was brief as always, but uh, Scout the Farm Dog, everybody. So good to hear from him. Uh, yeah, AFBF's uh, nominations are open for the annual Farm Dog of the Year contest, and I know that Scout will be looking for I don't know if he's, if he's actually going to go to San Juan. I'm not sure. There's probably something about flying on planes for, for dogs. I don't, I'm not sure how that works. Maybe we'll have to talk to him in greater depth at some point. A um, little housekeeping quick. We had Todd Bubba Horwitz on the, the show yesterday afternoon, and we, we got to talking just briefly about vulnerabilities in the, uh, the U.S. power grid. And I said South Carolina. Um, there is a little bit of news on that front out of South Carolina, but um, this from NPR.org, a news story, North Carolina attacks highlight the vulnerability of power grids. Moore County, North uh, Carolina, uh, no storm, no warning. Uh, they write here, quote, just darkness on what had been a festive holiday season evening. It turned out a shooting attack on two electrical substations knocked tens of thousands of people off the grid for the better part of a week. Now, those parts to replace that stuff, of course, come from overseas, and so it takes a good long time. And what happened was apparently uh, somebody had, had used a high-powered rifle and sniped at some of the, the coolant fluid uh, infrastructure within that, that power plant there, uh, busted open the coolant lines, leaked out, and it forced an automatic shutdown of the uh, the substations this article from npr says substations are quote soft targets because the main components in them cool themselves with circulating oil high-powered rifle rounds can easily pierce transformers spring leaks make them overheat and shut down um a vulnerability here that i mentioned offhand and i did say south carolina this is out of north carolina but certainly something to watch you can get more on that at npr.org north carolina attacks highlight the vulnerability of power grids. Um, we talked with with Brian Grady. He did talk about the uh, the farm bill and some things. I want to get back and hit the second half of a story that I started in the news segment. Farm Bureau recently asked congressional leaders for disaster aid for weather losses this year in the developing fiscal year 23 omnibus spending bill that could pass next week after another temporary measure this week. We certainly believe that the 2023 Farm Bill presents an opportunity to enhance risk management tools um, that are actually sound and adaptable for our members' needs. That was uh, AFBF's Emily Buckman, uh, who earlier in our program said it's time to strengthen the safety net in the next Farm Bill. In other news, the U.S. economy still has considerable momentum 
and is not currently on the verge of recession, according to CoBank's 2023 year-ahead report. However, economists have never been more pessimistic, and there are legitimate reasons for concern. Over the past half-century, inflation above 5% has never been tamed without incurring a recession. Despite a steady barrage of disruptive challenges, the United States ag economy has fared quite well for the last three years, according to the report. However, CoBank says in 2023, producers and related industries will begin to show financial strains. Here, I think I've got time for a couple of quick more ones here. Speaking at the Wisconsin Farmers Union Annual Convention, USDA Farm Service Agency Administrator Zach Ducheneau says he would like to see changes to the federal farm loan system. I would like to see the Farm Service Agency be able to offer the best deal out of the gate and function less like a lending institution and more like a federal government initiative. The challenge that we have right now is that our loan officers, for whatever reason, are often in a more conservative frame of mind than they need to be. And that conservative frame of mind actually puts the producers in a weaker position because we don't extend the best terms that we can at the outset. And finally here, a new collaboration offers Southern Cotton Growers the chance to participate in carbon markets. The project will work with cotton farmers to generate high-quality carbon and greenhouse gas credits on more than 2,300 acres. Special thanks today to Greg Henderson from Drovers, newly elected USB Chair Megan Kaiser, and of course the Brinstein Pro Farmer Editor Brian Grady. This afternoon, Ted Seifert will take the wheel, and tomorrow morning it's a Friday free-for-all with Wiesmeyer Haney, and April Hemaseth will join. For Big Apple Joe Stackler, it's your pal Davis Michelson. Come back this afternoon at 206 Central for more Agritalk.